Welcome to Fast Asleep. Thanks for joining us. It is time to settle in now and let's feed your brain again with the weird and wonderful work of Algernon Blackwood. Yep, you can scroll back for his The Empty House. Oh, it's such a good one. And The Willows in earlier Fast Asleep episodes. One of the most prolific ghost story writers, Blackwood, directly influenced H.P. Lovecraft. We told you this before. J.R.R. Tolkien and even Stephen King. Okay, we won't make you wait any longer. Tuck in and enjoy. The Listener. September 4th. I have hunted all over London for rooms suited to my income, the 120 pounds a year, and have at last found them. Two rooms, without modern conveniences, it is true, and in an old ramshackle building, but within a stone's throw of P place and in an eminently respectable street, where the rent is only 25 pounds a year. I had begun to despair when at last I found them by chance. The chance was a mere chance and unworthy of record. I had to sign a lease for a year, and I did so willingly. The furniture from our old place in Hampshire, oh, which had been stored so long, will just suit them. October 1st. Here I am in my two rooms in the center of London and not far from the offices of the periodicals where occasionally I dispose of an article or two. The building is at the end of a cul-de-sac. The alley is well paved and clean and lined chiefly with the backs of sedate and institutional looking buildings. There is a stable in it. My own house is dignified with the title of Chambers. I feel as if one day the honor must prove too much for it, and it will swell with pride and fall asunder. It is very old. The floor of my sitting room has valleys and low hills on it, and the top of the door slants away from the ceiling with a glorious disregard of what is usual. <laughs> they must have quarreled 50 years ago and have been going apart ever since. October 2nd. My landlady is very old and thin and with a faded, dusty face. She is uncommunicative. The few words she utters seem to cost her pain. Probably her lungs are half choked with dust. She keeps my rooms as free from this commodity as possible and has the assistance of a strong girl who brings up the breakfast and lights the fire. As I have said already, she is not communicative. In reply to pleasant efforts on my part, she informed me briefly that I, 
was the only occupant of the house at present. My rooms had not been occupied for some years. There had been other gentlemen upstairs, but they had left. She never looks straight at me when she speaks, but fixes her dim eyes on my middle waistcoat button, waistcoat for us Americans, till I get nervous and begin to think it isn't on straight or it is the wrong sort of button altogether. October 8th. My week's book is nicely kept and so far is reasonable. Milk and sugar, seven pence. Bread, six pence. Butter, eight pence. Marmalade, six pence. Eggs, one shilling, eight pence. Laundress, two shilling, nine pence. Oil, six pence. Attendance, five shilling. Hmm. Total, one hundred, oh, twelve shilling, two pence. The landlady has a son who, now she told me, is something on an omnibus. He comes occasionally to see her. I think he drinks, for he talks very loud, regardless of the hour of the day or night, and tumbles about over the furniture downstairs. All the morning, I sit indoors writing articles, verses for the comic papers, a novel I've been at for three years and concerning which I have dreams, a children's book in which the imagination has free reign, and another book which is to last as long as myself, since it is an honest record of my soul's advance or retreat in the struggle of life. Now, besides these, I keep a book of poems, which I use as a safety valve, and concerning which I have no dreams whatsoever. Between the lot, I am always occupied. In the afternoons, I generally try to take a walk for my health's sake through Regent's Park into Kensington Gardens or farther afield to Hampstead Heath. October 10th. Mm -hmm. Everything went wrong today. I have two eggs for breakfast. This morning, one of them was bad. I rang the bell for Emily. When she came in, I was reading the paper and without looking up, I said, eggs bad. Oh, is it, sir? She said, I'll get another one and went out taking the egg with her. I waited for my breakfast for her return, which was in five minutes. She put the new egg on the table and went away. But. When I looked down, I saw that she had taken away the good egg and left the bad one, all green and yellow in the slop basin. Well, I rang again. You've taken the wrong egg, I said. Oh, she exclaimed. I thought the one I took 
didn't smell so very bad. In due time, she returned with the good egg, and I resumed my breakfast with two eggs, but less appetite. Oh, well, it was, it was all very trivial, to be sure, but so stupid that I felt annoyed. The character of that egg influenced everything I did. I wrote a bad article and tore it up. I got a bad headache. I used bad words to myself. Everything was bad, so I chucked work and went for a long walk. I dined at a cheap chop house on my way back and reached home about nine o'clock. Rain was just beginning to fall as I came in, and the wind was rising. It promised an ugly night. The alley looked dismal and dreary, and the hall of the house as I passed through it ooh, felt chilly as a tomb. It was the first stormy night I had experienced in my new quarters. Oh, and the drafts were awful. They came crisscross, met in the middle of the room, and formed eddies and whirlpools and cold, silent currents that almost lifted the hair of my head. Well, I stuffed up the stashes of the windows with neckties and odd socks, and well, I just sat over the smoky fire to keep warm. Well, first I tried to write, but found it too cold. My hand turned to ice on the paper. What tricks the wind did play with that old place. It came rushing up the forsaken alley with a sound, well, like the feet of a hurrying crowd of people who stopped suddenly at the door. I felt as if a lot of curious folk had arranged themselves just outside and were staring up at my windows. Oh, oh, and then they took to their heels again and fled, whispering and laughing down the lane. Only, however, to return with the next gust of wind and repeat their impertinence. On the other side of my room, a single square window opens into a, a, a sort of a shaft or well. It measures about six feet across to the back wall of another house. Now down this funnel, the wind dropped and puffed and shouted. Such noise I never heard before. Well, between these two entertainments, I sat over that fire in a great coat listening to the deep booming in the chimney. It was like being in a ship at sea. And I almost looked for the floor to rise in undulations and rock to and fro. <laughs> October 12th. I wish I were not quite so lonely and so poor. And yet I love both my loneliness and my poverty. The former makes me appreciate the companionship of the wind and rain, while the latter preserves my liver and prevents me wasting time in dancing attendance upon women. Poor ill-dressed men are not acceptable attendants. My parents are dead. 
and my only sister is, no, not dead exactly, but married to a very rich man, and they travel most of the time, he to find his health, she to lose herself. Though sheer neglect on her part, through that, she has long passed out of my life. Mm -hmm. The door closed when, well, after an absolute silence of five years, she sent me a check for 50 pounds at Christmas. It was signed by her husband. Well, I returned it to her <laughs> in a thousand pieces and in an unstamped envelope, <laughs> so at least I had the satisfaction of knowing that it cost her something. She wrote back with a broad quill pen that covered a whole page with just three lines. You are evidently as cracked as ever and rude and ungrateful into the bargain. It had always been my special terror lest the insanity of my father's family should leap across the generations and appear in me. This thought haunted me, and she knew it. So, after this little exchange of civilities, the door slammed, never to open again. I heard the crash it made, and with it, the falling from the walls of my heart, of many little bits of china with their own peculiar value, rare china, some of it, that only needed dusting. The same walls, too, carried mirrors in which I used sometimes to see reflected the misty lawns of childhood the daisy chains, the wind-torn blossoms scattered through the orchards by warm rains, the robber's cave in the long walk, and the hidden store of apples in the hayloft. Oh, she, she was my inseparable companion then. But when the door slammed, the mirrors cracked, across their entire length, and the visions they held vanished forever. So, now I am quite alone at 41. I cannot begin all over again to build up careful friendships. Well, and all others are comparatively worthless. October 14th. My bedroom is 10 by 10. It is below the level of the front room, and a step leads down into it. And both rooms are very quiet on calm nights, for there is no traffic down this forsaken alleyway. In spite of the occasional larks of the wind, it is a most sheltered strip. At its upper end, below my windows, all the cats of the neighborhood congregate as soon as darkness gathers. 
they lie undisturbed on the long ledge of a blind window of the opposite building, for after the postman has come and gone at 9.30, no footsteps ever dare to interrupt their sinister conclave. No step but my own, or sometimes the unsteady footfall of the sun, who is something on an omnibus. October 15th. I dined at an ABC shop on poached eggs and coffee, and then went for a stroll round the outer edge of Regent's Park. Oh, it was 10 o'clock when I got home. I counted no less than 13 cats, all of them a dark color, crouching under the lee side of the alley walls. Oh, it was a cold night, and the stars shone like points of ice in a blue-black sky. The cats turned their heads and stared at me in silence as I passed. An odd sensation of shyness took possession of me under the glare of, well, so many pairs of unblinking eyes. As I fumbled with the latch key, they jumped noiselessly down and pressed against my legs, well, as if anxious to be let in. But I slammed the door in their faces and ran quickly upstairs. The front room, as I entered to grope for the matches, felt as cold as a stone vault, and the air held an unusual dampness. October 17th. Now, for several days, I have been working on a ponderous article that allows no play for the fancy. My imagination requires a judicious reign. I am afraid I, I let it loose, and afraid to do so, for it carries me sometimes into appalling places beyond the stars and beneath the world. No one realizes the danger more than I do, but, oh, what a foolish thing, what a foolish thing to write here, for there, there is no one to know, no one to realize. My mind of late has held unusual thoughts, thoughts I'd never had before about uh, medicines and drugs and the treatment of strange illnesses. Well, I cannot imagine their source. Hmm. And no time, at no time in my life, have I dwelt upon such ideas and how they constantly throng my brain. Well, I have had no exercise lately, for the weather has been shocking, and all my afternoons have been spent in the reading room of the British Museum, where I have a reader's ticket. I have made an unpleasant discovery. There are rats in the house. At night from my bed, I have heard them scampering across the hills and valleys of the front room, and my sleep has been a good deal disturbed in consequence. 
October 19th. The landlady, I find, has a little boy with her, probably her son's child. In fine weather, he plays in the alley and draws a wooden cart over the cobbles. One of the wheels is off, and it makes a most distracting noise. Well, after putting up with it as long as possible, I found it was getting on my nerves, and I could not write. So I rang the bell. Emily answered it. Emily, will you ask the little fellow to make less noise? It's impossible to work. Well, the girl went downstairs, and soon afterwards the child was called in by the kitchen door. Oh, I felt rather a brute for spoiling his play. In a few minutes, however, the noise began again. And I felt that he was the brute. He dragged the broken toy with a string over the stones. Well, till the rattling noise jarred every nerve in my body. It became unbearable. I rang the bell a second time. The noise must be put a stop to, I said to the girl with decision. Yes, sir. And she grinned. I know, but one of the wheels is off. The men in the stable offered to mend it for him, but he wouldn't let them. He says he likes it that way. I can't help what he likes. The noise must stop. I can't write. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll tell Mrs. Monson. The noise stopped for the day then. October 23rd. Every day for the past week, that cart has rattled over the stones till I have come to think of it as a huge carrier's van with four wheels and two horses. <sighs> and every morning I have been obliged to ring the bell and have it stopped. The last time, Mrs. Monson herself came up and said, she was sorry that I had been annoyed. The sound should not occur again. And with rare discursiveness, she went on to ask, if I was comfortable, and how I liked the rooms. Well, I replied cautiously. I mentioned the rats. Well, she said they were mice. I spoke of the drafts, and she said, yes, it were a drafty house. I referred to the cats, and she said they had been as long as she could remember. By way of conclusion, she informed me that the house was over 200 years old and that the last gentleman who had occupied my rooms was a painter who had real Jimmy Bowie's and raffles hanging all over the walls. <laughs> well, <clears throat> let's see. It took me some moments to discern that Chemabue and Raphael <laughs> were in the woman's mind. October 24th. Last night, the son, who is something on a homnibus, came in. He had evidently been drinking, 
for I heard loud and angry voices below in the kitchen long after I had gone to bed. And once, too, I caught the singular words rising up to me through the floor. Burning from top to bottom is the only thing that'll make this house right. I knocked on the floor, and the voices ceased suddenly, though later I again heard their clamor in my dreams. These rooms are very quiet. Almost too quiet sometimes. On a windless night, they are silent as the grave. And the house might be miles in the country. The roar of London's traffic reaches me only in heavy, distant vibrations. It holds an ominous note sometimes, like that of an approaching army or an immense tidal wave very far away, thundering in the night. October 27th. Mrs. Monson, though admirably silent, is a foolish, fussy woman. She does such stupid things. In dusting the room, she puts all my things in the wrong places. The ashtrays, which should be on the writing table, she sets in a silly row on the mantelpiece. The pen tray, which should be beside the inkstand, she hides away cleverly among the books on my reading desk. My gloves, she arranges daily in idiotic array upon a half-filled bookshelf, and I always have to rearrange them on the lower table by the door. She places my armchair at impossible angles between the fire and the light. Oh, and the tablecloth, the one with the Trinity Hall stains, she puts on the table in such a fashion that when I look at it, I feel as if my tie and all my clothes were on crooked and awry. Oh, she exasperates me. Her very silence and meekness are irritating. Sometimes I feel inclined to throw the inkstand at her, just to bring an expression into her watery eyes and maybe a squeak from those colorless lips. Oh, dear me. Oh, dear me. What violent expressions I am making use of. Oh, how very foolish of me. And yet it almost seems as if the words were not my own, but had been spoken into my ear. I mean, I never make use of such terms naturally. October 30th. Well, I have been here a month. The place does not agree with me, I think. My headaches are more frequent and violent, and my nerves are a perpetual source of discomfort and annoyance. I have conceived a great dislike for Mrs. Monson, a feeling I am certain she reciprocates. Somehow, the impression comes frequently to me that there are goings-on in this house of which I know nothing and which she 
is careful to hide from me. Last night, her son slept in the house, and this morning, as I was standing at the window, I saw him go out. He glanced up and caught my eye. It was a loutish figure and a singularly repulsive face that I saw. And he gave me the benefit of a very unpleasant leer. At least, so I imagined. Evidently, I am getting absurdly sensitive to trifles. And I suppose it is my disordered nerves making themselves felt. In the British Museum this afternoon, I noticed several people at the reader's table staring at me and watching every movement I made. Whenever I looked up from my books, I found their eyes upon me. It seemed to me unnecessary and unpleasant. Well, and I left earlier than was my custom. When I reached the door, I threw back a last look into the room and saw every head at the table turned in my direction. Well, it annoyed me very much. And yet, well, I know it is foolish to take note of such things. When I am well, they pass me by. I must get more regular exercise. Of late, I have had next to none. November 2nd. The utter stillness of this house is beginning to oppress me. I wish there were other fellows living upstairs. No footsteps ever sound overhead and no tread ever passes my door to go up to the next flight of stairs. I'm beginning to feel some curiosity to go up myself and see what the upper rooms are like. I feel lonely here and isolated, swept into a deserted corner of the world and forgotten. Once I actually caught myself gazing into the long, cracked mirrors, trying to see the sunlight dancing beneath the trees in the orchard. But only deep shadows seem to congregate there now, and I soon desisted. It has been very dark all day, and no wind stirring the fogs have begun. Why, well, I had to use a reading lamp all this morning. There was no cart, no cart to be heard today. I, I actually missed it. This morning in the gloom and silence, I think, I think I could almost have welcomed it. After all, the sound is a very human one, and this empty house at the end of the alley holds other noises that are not quite so satisfactory. I have never seen once a policeman in the lane. And the postman, well, they always hurry out with no evidence of a desire to loiter. 10 p.m. As I write this, I hear no sound but the deep murmur of the distant traffic and the low sighing of the wind. 
Yeah, the two sounds melt into one another, and oh, now and again a cat raises its shrill, uncanny cry upon the darkness. The cats are always there, under my windows, when the darkness falls. The wind is dropping into the funnel with a noise, like the sudden sweeping of immense, distant wings. Hmm. It is a dreary night. I feel lost and forgotten. November 3rd. From my windows I can see arrivals. When anyone comes to the door, I can just see the hat and shoulders and the hand on the bell. Only two fellows have been to see me since I came here two months ago. Both of them I saw from the window and heard their voices asking if I was in. Neither of them ever came back. Well, I have finished the ponderous article on reading, reading it through. However, I was dissatisfied with it and I drew my pencil through, well, almost every page. There were strange expressions and ideas that I could not explain. And I viewed with amazement, not to say alarm. They did not sound like my very own. And I could not remember having written them. Can it be that my memory is beginning to be affected? Oh, my pens are never to be found. That stupid old woman puts them in a different place every day. I must give her due credit for finding so many new hiding places. Such ingenuity is wonderful. Mm. Now, I have told her repeatedly, but she always says, I'll speak to Emily, sir, and Emily always says, I'll tell Mrs. Monson, sir. Eh, well, their foolishness makes me irritable and scatters all my thoughts. I should like to stick the lost pens into them and turn them out blind-eyed to be scratched and mauled by those thousand hungry cats. Ooh, my, what a ghastly thought. Well, where in the world did it come from? Well, such an idea is no more my own than it is the policeman's. Yet I felt I had to write it. It was like a voice singing in my head, and my pen would not stop till the last word was finished. Oh, what ridiculous nonsense. I must and will restrain myself. I must take more regular exercise. My nerves and liver plague me horribly. Please join us in the next episode for part two. Good night.